There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Willie. Morning. Let's start with a fizz and good story. Oh. I am Brew. My Another favorite. strong first half year profits up 13%, the 27.8 million for the six months. And they're also looking to rein in price hikes to keep sales growing. That's brilliant, for, obviously, for consumers. Another great Scottish business story. Are they right to look to curb prices, hikes, or should they be looking to protect margin over the top line growth? Well, the dilemma. Iron, Iron Brew is my favourite um, soft drink, and um, I, I always win um, from people not in, in Scotland. I always ask them, where where is Coca Cola not the, the world's number one? In which country is it not the number one selling soft drink? And um, nobody ever gets it if they don't live in Scotland. But anyway, <laughs> Roger White has done a great job. He's going to be stepping down in the next 12 months. And I think they've been very canny here. They've made some interesting acquisitions. And Roger White's saying, we're we're going to look at our productivity. We can't pass every cost um, increase on to the customer because the customer can't afford that. I think it's a very well-run business and good on them. Yeah, I think the point you make, I think um, Roger's time there in charge, it's been phenomenal for the company. And uh, I, I hope he's not stepping down and putting his slippers on. You know, good CEOs like him don't grow in trees, so I hope he's, hope he's going to be doing something else that's going to enhance the GDP of the country. Yeah. So, well I, done, well done, and, and good luck. I think he'll be hard to replace there, Willie, but hopefully, you know, they, that's a business that went from a family business, family-run into a professional management, which Roger is, that doesn't always work. Um, but the Iron Brew family have seemingly done it seamlessly. So that's a very good Scottish example, I would say. Brilliant, brilliant. I see that the uh, the exec team at both the SEC, Edinburgh and Glasgow are coming under a wee bit of stick for MSPs in relation to you know the bonus system that they get. Although that these are arm's length, you know, companies owned by the councils, do you, do you think that um, MSPs don't have an understanding of of like, how these guys are really in the private sector and how they should get paid accordingly? <laughs> Is that a leading question, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to I've got to say that I know Marshall um, who runs. The Edinburgh, and he does a brilliant job. And very plain and simply, Willie, you get what you pay for. What do you think? Well, I think I don't know. I know Peter Duffy and the team have been heavily involved. You know, with the, with a hydro and the SEC for many, many years. Away back to my time as, as, as chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow, I think they've done a phenomenal job. Yeah, phenomenal. You know, and and I think that whatever they get paid, they're entitled to every penny. I think that um, I remember back in the day when. I think the hydro back then was like one of the biggest infrastructure projects that were that were the city had been involved in. Right. And uh, I remember at the time that we had to scrape up the last few million. You know, I think we had to end up getting, I think it was the Southampton Pension Fund actually helping fund the car parks. But, we, right? we, but we had to look in all the drawers and, and, you know, everywhere to get the last few quid to put it together. But I don't think anybody, anybody could have imagined the difference that that complex has made to the GDP of Finiston in the surrounding area. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And I think it's the same in, in Edinburgh. You know, we've had huge events there when we brought Barack Obama and DiCaprio, etc. And Marshall and the team there have did a phenomenal job. So, listen, you these people are accountable. They're getting paid by results. And that's, that's the only way it can be. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. So talking about wage rises and bonuses, I don't know if you've just seen it this week, where um, President Joe Biden 
turned up on the picket line with the auto workers in America. Right. And he's up with the megaphone and I'm standing right behind you so you can keep in there. I mean, there must be an election coming up, you know, I think. But what was interesting about it was, was then uh, Elon Musk stepped in and said, yeah, that's all, you know, this is uh, politics and business, you know, not mixing well. That uh, The workers are looking for a 40% pay rise and they want to go to a 32-hour week. Uh, you know, he's basically making the, the, the point that... Uh, Will not, America will not be competitive if it continues down this route. What do you think? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I, um, I, I always kind of despair about Scottish and then UK politics. And then I look across the pond and I think, thank goodness we're not in America. Because, um, I mean, there is a, a presidential election coming up November 24. And um, we've got Joe Biden. And listen, you you just got to call it the way you see it. You know, Joe Biden is too old to be the president of the United States of America, have his, have, you know, the leader of the free world. And Donald Trump this week was, has been charged with fraud in his companies for overstating the value of his assets so he could borrow more money. That's the two people, that's the best America can do. Come on. Well, it's worse than that when you read the when you see the when you see the Trump story, right? Basically, what the uh, the AG is saying in her submission to the judge is he was worth nothing. <laughs> right? He was actually in debt. He, you know, so and it's by billions, I think, in one of the charges against him that he'd overstated the value of his properties, right? But I thought, I thought that his defence, his response was absolutely brilliant, right? Right. Where he says, no, that's what the property guys are saying, but I'm telling you, I could get somebody from Saudi Arabia to pay that for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, Billy, is that, you know, oh, you, get what, you get what you pay for, and is that the two best candidates in the United States of America to lead the free world. Oh, oh right, I, so, I despair. So while we're on about that, right, we, we can't go without no mentioning. What about the <laughs> what about the politician that's been found with a 400 grand in readies and 100 grand in gold bars under his bed in his house? So who was that, Willie? Was was it? uh, it's a senator called Bob Menendez, right? <laughs> uh, and he said it's from his personal savings. Oh, from, dear. And and obviously also so what he's what he's, what the charge is to be fair is that he has been um, lobbying in behalf of Egyptian activists, right? Uh -huh. And uh, there's one text from his wife saying, "Oh, darling, you'll not believe it. We've just received a brand new Mercedes that's in the driveway." <laughs> So from gold bars and mercs to camper vans in the driveways, uh, I, I don't know. So, but, it, but it's the Go Radio Business Show, Willie, yeah. and I was... So see if you can explain this to me, because I'm I'm confused, which is quite easy these days. But anyway, so the UK government has given the green light to the Rosebank project up off of Shetland. It's yeah. a joint venture between a Norwegian company, Equinor, and a UK company, Ithaca Energy. Um, I, I think it's probably a good thing. Obviously, you've got all the environmentalists saying, oh dear, but, you know, it's going to have 1,600 jobs, um, good jobs in the construction and 450 jobs once it's in production, going to be 300 million barrels coming out of it. So, okay, fine. But then I read down in my neck of the woods, down in Sankar, um, one of the biggest UK onshore wind developments that got planning permission in August is saying we are not going to build it because our costs have risen 80% and the UK government has put a windfall tax on us. So we're okaying taking fossil fuels out the North Sea, but wind, which could have powered what they said was 350,000 homes, they've said they're not going ahead. I mean, what? What do you think's going on here, Willie? Well, when I seen that, I can't really understand it because I never thought there was any windfall tax in anybody that was that was investing in renewables. Yeah, I, I think it's I when they go it. to sell it, Willie. I think it's when they go to sell it. There's this windfall tax, and when the UK government put the latest auction for offshore wind, it got zero bids. 
because the people who invest in it said they can't get a return on their capital. So something needs to be done here, Willie, surely. Well, that should be top of the agenda with um, Keir Stammer's plan for GB Energy. Well, Willie, you're on that task force, so you're on the Labour side. I'm an independent, um, but my goodness, somebody in the UK government's got to work that one out. I don't quite understand that one. And another thing, Willie, down in, I'm down in London this week looking at all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a different world down here and um, it's it's busy and there's no recession and things are booming. But Meta, which is formerly known as Facebook, have paid £149 million not to occupy an office block, which they signed a lease on, um, because they're saying, well, the new people working from home, we don't need the office space anymore. Um, James Dyson has come out and said that he is telling his people to get back into the office or find another job. He's saying we work collaboratively, side by side, we make discoveries, we spark off each other. You cannot work from home. Um, where do you stand in this, Wally? Because I, I think up in Scotland, you know, the Scottish government, the local authorities, they're letting everybody work from home and it's affecting, the, you know, coffee shops, restaurants. Where do you stand in it? Because you've got a lot of people. Well, I think, Tom, there's a couple of things on that this week. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the article in relation to the city, Canary Wharf, and, you know, and, and, and then the, the banking district. Yeah. It looks like now that Friday is absolutely a day off without it being declared. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the all the restaurants and bars now are not opening on a Friday. Um, for me, I, I think that I was hoping and I was confident that people would slowly get back, but it's been much, much slower than I than than I thought it would be. But right. in my own opinion and in, in regards to my own business, I definitely think that we have to get people to come back to work. Right? I don't think things are going to get back to normal. But we can't just let it that, uh, you know, that a pandemic ended up changing our whole working pattern. We just, you know, without any, like the, the Friday off, I'm not sure that all these companies in the city just didn't say, oh, the workers, right, just don't come in on a Friday. <laughs> right, but people just took it upon themselves. I can tell with my own car park on a Monday and a Friday, there's a third of the cars that's in it. So right. we, we had the board meeting yesterday and we actually brought it up. And I would say everybody that's working from home, especially young people, if you've got any ambition at all to do better within the company, you will not get recognised sitting in the house. No, right? definitely it's, not. You know, as, 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 as Mr Dyson said, it's all about collaboration, it's all about getting noticed, it's all about seeing how people are doing. You know, so I, I, I think that um, you will just be a number and a name if you work from home. Yeah, I mean... My, my own opinion on it is there's a couple of tests. There's one that what's best for your employees, but best for your employees, and you make the point, if you're a young person, how do you get your mentorship? How do you learn? How do you learn by doing? You don't learn by sitting in your jammers on a Zoom call. You just don't. Um, and it's what's best for the customer of the business because if any business is not taking care of their customers, the employees won't have a job because that business will not exist. So there's a few hard truths here, Willie. A lot of people don't want to hear them, but the leaders of these businesses need to sit with their team and say, okay, we've got two people we're taking care of, we've got you, the employees, and we've got our customers. What's best for both here? And I think another point that's on the social side of it, I remember when I first started work at 15, and I remember over the first five years of work, I learned more about life with mixing with people in my work than I did in the 15 years before that. Yeah. Right? The social skills and how different people operate, how you get to trust people, not to trust people, you know, and, and you learn, you know, even when people came from different parts of the city, you know, finding out about, you know, where is Drum Chapel, right? And somebody that came from there telling you all about it and what like. So for me, my message, especially to young people, 
you know, starting out. And definitely, if, if you've got the opportunity, you know, get into the office, get into your work, whatever it might be, and, and mingle and work together. Yeah, and I'd, I won't, I won't say which council, but when one of her sons was looking to get married, Marion was thinking, oh, that would be a great venue. She tried to get hold of the council, was first of all told, no, you've got to put it, put it in writing, you can't speak to a human being. So she sent in an email and never heard. Six weeks later, they said, oh, yes, that venue's available. Six weeks later, my son was married. Yeah. So... Not taking care of their customers, will it? You you might not want to mention them, but I'll mention because it's a wee segue. So Glasgow. <laughs> okay. So um what about the, the, the story this week that um that in order to settle, you know, the equal pay for you know, for mostly for the ladies within Glasgow Council. Uh-huh. That it's been you know, a revelation this week they're gonna be paying back nearly five hundred million more than they borrowed. They've they've obviously pawned all the crown jewels and the Kelvin Hall and various other buildings. Right. Surely there must have been a better way and a way to raise the funds to settle this claim, which was the right thing to do. Right. Yes. The people yes. entitled to the money. So but there must have been a better way. So let me ask you this, Willie. Could Glasgow City Council go the same way as Birmingham? Which well, is bust. Well, I think the point was when this story broke, I think that was the undertone of Glasgow's response to say, like, you know, we wouldn't do that, so we've done it this way or we would have been bust. Uh, I, I think Glasgow has too many assets to go bust. Right. Um, so I don't think Glasgow would ever be in that situation. But I think that what we need to be, we need to be cleverer in how we go about, you know, finding how we get capital to settle, you know, um, legacy problems that we had, we, you know, we equal pay. I just was yeah. a, a, an, an, an offshore finance company, um, in British Virgin Island or something, or Virgin Island. So I just think that um, that's, a, that's a big anchor around your neck for, for a long, long time. No, no, wonder, no wonder the city's got no money to, to clear the bins. Yeah, as you say, the right thing to do, but to, to go about it the right way. People need to be held to account, Willie. Yep. Well, we mentioned last week, obviously, about um, Dishy Rishi. You know, and uh, you know, and, and it was great that we didn't get a hike in interest rates. But um, what do you think about his uh, small retrench in relation to the timescale for electric vehicles? So, what do I think? I think, and listen, the way you like your Starmer, I'll just say that I admire some qualities of Dishy Rishi, um, and I think he's being practical. I think. Is saying, yes, net zero by 2050, we all still want to do it, but as the facts change, we need to look and see if our policies, which were written some time ago, are they still relevant to get us there? And he is coming out and saying that we can't get to net zero and bankrupt the British people, which is quite a clever line. So I kind of take it at face value and say, okay, I understand. I think as soon as I seen it, I thought he cannot be making this announcement without having conversations with the manufacturers. Well, I'm sure he has, Well, Right. Well, I mean, was it a week before it, BMW announced going to spend a fortune building the electric minis in the UK? Uh-huh. Right. So I thought, he can't surely, one week he can't be standing up saying this is fantastic news. So it looked to me, I know Ford and some people had things to say about it, but I think that the um, the big manufacturers had a kind of sigh of relief and were quite happy with this news. Well, i never seen them all over the papers the next day. You know, all of them yeah. you was know, jumping up and down. But interesting falling on for that. I seen this week that China, we, we talk about, moving away from gas because we don't want to be dependent on Russia and we don't want to get caught up in the politics of war in relation to our utility. But I've seen today that if we go forward with the whole electric car thing, which I can believe it means is coming this week, right? Right, good. Uh, that China, and only China, will be responsible for, for producing 70% of all the batteries in the world for electric cars. Wow. So I think that certainly will be certainly be beholden to China. Yeah, I mean, could there, the 
cynic, could there be a Westminster election coming up, Willie? And yes, maybe, yes. Rishi's got his eye on politics. I'd, I'd call me a cynic, but there yeah. you go. <laughs> I hope Richie's got his eye on the brew after the elections. <laughs> and no iron brew. <laughs> uh, exactly. Just, I, I just want to finish with one thing. Yes. Right. I'd like to ask your opinion on where you think the markets are going. And the reason why I say that is I've been watching all the experts all week and listening to them. And for the first time, I've been of the opinion that they actually don't know. The experts <laughs> don't know. The market is either going to go up or it's going to go down. And for the first time, people are in this, you know, they're in this position where actually they'll not put their, their neck on the line. Yeah, well, Warren Buffett's got a great quote about um, experts and markets. He said, if all the experts and the journalists knew where markets were going, they wouldn't be a journalist or an expert, they'd be very rich people. <laughs> so Brilliant. I have no clue where markets are going and I, and I think very few people do, Willie. Brilliant. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Andrew Morrison, founder of AMBID. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Andrew Morrison, who successfully grew AM Bids to be Scotland's largest bidding and tendering consultancy. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Willie. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Andrew. We're really looking forward to um, hearing your story because I just love this section of the show because I don't know your story, but I'm reading the wee notes here and um, I can't wait to you tell the listeners your story. When I when I read your bio, I couldn't wait to get you on. I think this 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 will be interesting for for lots of our listeners. So, Andrew, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, Andrew Morrison spent the first five years of my life in Glasgow, uh, fairly near here actually, and. Uh, my, my late father was from Glasgow. My mother, still alive, is from the Outer Hebrides. We then moved to the Outer Hebrides. I had five years there. Then we moved to Perth. Uh, my career was... I've actually had two careers. My first career was in social housing. Wow. So I was a social housing officer, then a social housing manager, then a senior manager. Um, while I was there, I was getting involved and sitting on commissioning panels, putting things out to tender. And I eventually got headhunted, actually, when I worked at City of Edinburgh Council by a large London firm who'd won a big contract with Edinburgh Council and they were looking for somebody Scottish to uh, run it. And with the council's permission, I actually made the, the crossover from the public sector into the private sector. Um, got that contract up and running. It was to get 1,500 private rented properties for a private sector leasing scheme, which was something new. Uh, it actually provided housing for homeless, mainly families. And um, yeah, the, the, the London-based company said, you know what, you would be great writing our bids and can you, you know, work for us across the UK as our director of business development? So that's how I got into bidding 18 years ago. Wow, right. I can't wait to talk more about that. And so tell us about the company when you, when you then set up yourself. Yeah, so after working five years for that property services company, I then went to work at British Gas. I went very specifically to British Gas because I wanted to set up my own bidding consultancy. But a few business friends said to me, do you know what, Andrew, you know, the company you work for at the moment, Orchard and Shipman, it's not a big name, maybe a big name in Edinburgh in that particular sector or in London, but why not go and work for a big blue chip, a big national business and learn even more experience commercially, contractually, and then leave that you know, when you feel ready, leave it and you'll have that name that will be able to launch, you know, your own business. So I was British Gas for four years. 
managing most of their bidding function across the UK, and then left in 2014 on the back of the Scottish Government bringing new legislation in about procurement, which meant every public sector contract worth £50,000, it used to be about 165000 had to go through a full tender process. And I thought there'll be lots of SME businesses that won't be able to necessarily cope with the rigours of public procurement. They're going to need help. So now's the time to launch my business. So I left, you know, I was on a, on a great number at British Gas, but I left that and set up on my own in 2014. Andrew, can I just ask, um, so you're you're really thinking this through, but at the back of your mind, just saying, I'm, I'm going to do this for myself. So what did... What did British Gas teach you? So what British Gas taught me, uh, Tom, was the, the real um, nuances of bidding and just everything that was involved. So I got exposed to all the all the legal side of things, all the commercial side of things, all the operational side of things. I was working on contracts, sometimes leading, you know, a bid team that had over 20 people in it. Wow. Working for a year on a maybe a £200 million energy efficiency scheme, you know, and getting that sort of, you know, much larger experience and more like corporate experience, you know, really helped me. But I knew my time had come, not just because the Scottish Government changed the procurement legislation, but also when I won the Entrepreneurial Spirit Award in British Gas. Ooh. I thought, well, that tells me now it's time to get out. An entrepreneur. Yes. <laughs> no, but, uh, but they actually called it Entrepreneurial yes. Spirit. Yes. So I thought, wow. right, yeah. time to go. Uh, I remember once being asked uh, by the chief executive of ASDA, uh, I knew most of his senior management team, and he asked me in front of them all, right, who would be the most, who did I think was the most entrepreneurial in his team? And, and I'm sure the guy will not mind me mentioning, but I says, oh, easy, uh, Ian Andrews, by far. I says, but he is what I would call a great entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? He's very good at taking risks with other people's money, but he'd never make... <laughs> this is what I said to him. I said, but he'd never make it in the private sector because he's a miserable bee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he nodded his head and he says, Willie, you're absolutely spot on. Right? I'm happy to be entrepreneurial with Asda's money <laughs> and he done a real good job. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not a miserable bee, Andrew. So, you know. <laughs> absolutely not, no. <laughs> no, no for Edinburgh. <laughs> Andrew, the um, obviously that you have had experience in both sides of the table, which is brilliant. And in that experience, has anyone from the government ever came to you and said, look, listen, what do you think is right? What do you think is wrong? Has anyone there ever asked you about public procurement? There has nope. been bits and pieces of engagement over the years. I would say not much recently. Yeah. You know, probably the pandemic brought an end to quite a lot of the kind of in-person round tables that we used to go to with, you know, the finance or business secretary. Uh, when I won the Institute of Director, uh, Director of the Year Award in Scotland in 2018, I was invited to an evening uh, with Nicola Sturgeon at Butte House with the other winners from the Director of the Year Award. And I was told I was doing important work for Scotland. So uh, that was nice. But actually, um, nobody from Scottish Enterprise has ever, you know, lifted the phone, knocked the door, contacted me. I mean, I've reached out to various chief execs there and said, look, you know, at the time, until I sold the business a few months ago, I own Scotland's largest bid and tender specialist. We have independently audited win rates, 85% a year. Wow. Sorry, 85% win rates. And last year, the Bid World's professional body named me the Global Thought Leader of the Year in the world of bids and proposals. So My goodness, Scot Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Scotland's got the Global Thought Leader of the Year in bids and proposals, but nobody from the public sector is knocking my door and asking me to help businesses. Well, so, so Nicola Sturgeon invited you along, said you were doing great work and never asked you any questions. <laughs> I must say, I don't want to burst your bubble here, but when I won uh, the Director of the Year Award, <laughs> um, I was over the moon about it until somebody said to me, it was just your turn. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about when you started your own business, you decided to take the plunge. Yeah, so I took the plunge, set myself up. Now, 
I had actually, I'm going to put one of the main success factors for me has actually been LinkedIn. So I joined LinkedIn in 2006. Right. I When I left Orchard and Shipman in 2010, I had about 150 connections. I wasn't that serious about it. But when I went to British Gas, I thought I am really going to actually try and connect to everybody that I come into contact with now because I know I'm going to leave in a few years and set up my own business. So when I left British Gas in 2014, I had 1,600 connections. Wow. And these connections actually really helped me. One was um, a former colleague at British Gas. He'd set up as, a, 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 as an energy consultant and utility specialist, and he went to work for one of the water companies on quite a long-term consultancy. Uh-huh. And he identified that they needed a bid specialist, so a big you know, water company, FTSE 100. And he um, said to me, I think you've got an opportunity here. So I remember going to meet somebody. It was in December. I'd only just started my business, December 2014. Drove along the bypass to the Edinburgh Novotel through the snow. Really, it wasn't very safe for me to be going met this director, he says, you're what I want, I'm going to offer you a full-time job. I said, I don't want that, I've just left one (laughs) at British Gas. He says, right, I'm going to offer you five days a week on a top consultancy rate for two years. (laughs) I said, that's no use to me. I said, I'm going to build a business that's going to be multi-sector, I'm going to have employees, I cannot work five days a week. Now, I was sitting with nothing. You know, I had no, <laughs> nothing at all. Uh, one or two very, very small clients, two or three days work a month. But I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So he said, right, tell me the best you can do. I said, well, the best I can do is I'll work for you for two years on two days a week. He says, right, give me a discount then because I'm giving you two two years guaranteed. I said, no discount. <laughs> My heart was in my mouth. Good stuff. <laughs> I said, no discount. I says, what I'll do is I won't put the price up for two years. And at the end of two years, if you still want me and if I still want to work for you, the prices will be going up. He said... <laughs> well seen, you're a good negotiator, Andrew. So he says, OK, you've got a deal. We shook hands on the deal. And that kind of... As soon as I came out of that and I thought, right, I can go and start employing people now because I've got a bit of guaranteed income coming in. So, Andrew, tell me about, because you're obviously a very thoughtful person, you've thought about getting your own business for some time and the preparatory work, but I know a big turning point for you was was getting a kind of mentor chairman in, in David Soul, and David helps us with the scale-up program that we run. So just tell me about how you found him and how he helped you. Yeah, certainly, Tom. That was, it was a bit of a fluke, really, so... Also, as well as LinkedIn and sharing my sort of work-winning content on LinkedIn, I I also was going to quite a number of networking events. Uh Entrepreneurial Scotland had put on an event. It was in Edinburgh. It was an evening event. So I thought I can go along to that. I was actually going down to Manchester to uh, work for a client the following day. So I was going to have to leave the event as soon as it finished. So I went early to the event and initially it was just me and David Soul that were there. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> he, was, he was the main speaker. He was talking about networking. He'd just written a book with uh, Belinda Roberts about networking. Uh-huh. And this was what the evening was. It was an evening of him talking about networking and, of course, an opportunity to network. I mean, I'm old enough to remember David Soul, you know, being the captain of Scotland, winning, winning the Grand Slam in 1990. Indeed. Um, so that was, that was great. And... Uh, I initially wanted to speak about that, but David was really wanting to find out about me and about my business. So I told him I help companies, businesses to win their tenders and proposals. Uh huh. He said, I never knew that service even existed. He says, I thought you'd have to work in a company to be able to write about it. He says, I've struggled myself sometimes writing proposals. If I'd known there was help available, he says, I'd probably have taken it. He says, I think you're on to something. Right. So I'm sitting there listening to his talk and I'm thinking, I had already decided I wanted a non-executive director. I'd grown the business at that point to probably nearly half a million turnover within three years. Uh-huh. But I thought to, to get it bigger, I really want a non-exec director who can tell me what I don't know. 
because that yep. was that was <laughs> that's what they're for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and probably open a black book, and I thought he's bound to have quite a lot of contacts as well. So, I just reflected on it. A few days later, I sent him an email, and I said, you know, I'm I would like, you know, enjoyed our conversation. Would you like to consider being our non-executive chairman? He said, come and meet me in my office in Edinburgh. So I did. Spent an hour with him. So at the end of it, I said, well, what do you think, David? And he said, well, he said, I don't do anything in a hurry. He said, I'm just off to California for a week. He said, I'll think about it and I'll let you know my decision when I return. I think he's quite a good negotiator as well. (laughs) And then he phoned me and he said, uh, when he returned from uh, America, he says, Andrew, it's a no-brainer. He says, I'm in. Brilliant. So... We spent three years with him, so he chaired a quarterly board meeting. I think we did about 13 quarterly board meetings, three annual strategy days, and about 36, you know, monthly mentoring sessions. So really got, you know, probably most of his, or a, a good part of his wisdom and nous from him. So so just to really help our listeners this morning who's sitting, you know, thinking either of getting their business or growing their business, you would really say, Take your time and try and get mentor come non-exec who knows stuff that you don't know and can help you along the way. Absolutely. And what was important for me as well was by this point, my business probably had five or six employees. Uh I had a very, very bright talent called uh, David Gray, who was somebody I'd recruited as a young graduate um, into Orchard and Shipman, actually, in 2005, trained him for five years then brought him back in, you know, uh, to AM Bid once we, you know, we'd got established. I think he came in, we'd been about two years up and running at that point. And I thought David's a very bright young talent. To keep him in this quite small business, I need to develop him. And one of the ways of developing him was to give him this mentor of David Soul. That was, you know, a, a really good opportunity. For, and David stayed with me for six years. Yeah, great. He he left um, last year to join Mighty. And he's also next year with APMP, the Bid World's professional body, he's going to be their global chair for a year. Wow. So, you know, I, I definitely managed to attract, retain and mentor, you know, that very bright talent. Well, why do you think that David would make a decision where he's working in a business He's a big rugby fan. He's got his idol as a chair. He's got a great rapport with it. Why why would you want to leave to go and work for a large PLC FM company? Yeah, well, I suppose ultimately, Willie, you'd need to maybe get David on one day and ask him that. I thought he might have shared it with you. Yeah, well, I think he did. (laughs) I I think he, he had had six years. The first three years, he was our development director. The second three years, he was the managing director. So he gained a lot of experience. But of course, we were limited as a reasonably small company with how much we could pay him. So he was wanting to get more experience. And I guess he probably slightly envied what I'd had, the experience I'd had at British Gas. I think he wanted that. He was following your path. Yeah, he wanted that big company experience. Yeah, brilliant. And Andrew, just... Talk us through this morning because I think the listeners will be very interested about your decision to sell, something you're, you're obviously very passionate about, and then the process of sale and how it's thrown up another business opportunity for you. Yeah, so I actually planned my business. I know you've had guests on the show because I've listened to a number of the podcasts. Right, And thank you. Re- you've had some really good guests and I think what I've learned from from your show is that there's no one right way of doing things or one yeah. way it has to be. You've got guests who come on and say, I had no particular plans, I had no business plan, I had no growth targets, I had no sale plan, I just take it as it comes, I go with the flow, I seize the opportunities. Yeah. I'm actually quite different. I've planned it all out. Even when I was starting the business at 47, I said, I'm going to sell in eight to 10 years. Right. And I told everybody, even people that were interviewing with me, I said, just to let you know, so it's not a surprise, I'm building this business to sell it. Right. And sometimes they would say, oh, so how does that affect me? Which, of course, is a natural question they would ask. And I would say, well, what it will mean is you'll be part of a growth journey, second to none in the bid world, 
And whoever buys this company, I'll make sure that what they're buying, and they'll, they'll make sure of it as well, primarily they're buying our client base and they're buying our staff and they're buying our brand. So they are not going to want to let you go because you're part of the success. Uh -huh. And the company that, you know, I had a number of offers, a number of suitors, but the company I went with was a company called Bidding Limited, who are based in Leeds. Uh, Bidding Limited, uh, their brand is HealthBid. So they only bid in the NHS sector. So as part of their growth plan, they wanted to buy a company that was a multi-sector bid specialist. So they bought our company and they kept all our staff as well. Brilliant. And when was that? Just on the 30th of June, Friday the 30th of June. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I was watching my phone and my emails all the time. The deal closed at 8.30 at night. On, on, the, on a Friday night, so the lawyers and the finance people, the accountants, they were all there, stuck with it. That's trouble to tell you, that's the usual. Yes. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. That's an early one. That's an early one. I think one of mine was 2 a.m. <coughs> so so what did selling the company mean for you? Were you retained? Were, were, are, are you still in the business? Have you? Yes, I'm still in the business. So they wanted me to stay for um, six months full-time and then to move to two days a week for six months. So that's exactly what's happening. This week is the end of my first three months full-time and it's going great. I mean, they're already saying to me, do you know what, Andrew, can we keep you forever? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> probably, probably I won't do that. No, you've got your mind. I can see the wheels going round already. You're on yeah. your next plan. Yeah. So, Andrew, you're a planner, a bit like myself. Willie takes it as it comes. So what's the next bit of the plan? So first of all, um, probably in early 2025, my wife Emma and I are going to go on a round-the-world trip. So we're going to go a 10-week trip. We're going to visit friends in New Zealand and relatives. We're going to um, go to Japan. We're going to go to Dubai. We're going to do a 10-week because... For the nine years of the business, and actually for many years before that, there's been a lot of, oh, no, sir, I can't do that, Emma, and sorry, no, you have to go on your own or go with, go with a friend or, you know. Right. So I think I only had two two-week holidays in nine years. So right. okay. sounds a bit right. Yeah, so right. I, think, I think it's time <laughs> for that. Then when I come back, I'm going to launch a new business, a consultancy, just, just me, I think, to start with anyway. And... What this will be is it'll be commercialising the experience I've got of growing the business, preparing it for sale, making it work without me, uh, dealing with offers and also dealing with a smooth transition period. Because even with, yeah. even with a fairly, I think, small, simple business, there was over 600 documents asked for during the due diligence process. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to work with company founders and help them prepare. Brilliant, brilliant. I think that's terrific. Yeah. And one of the best um, speakers we've had at, at the scale up because um, we do scale ups to help businesses grow. Andrew was a guy called Mac Lackey, and he is doing that. So look him up. Um, he he's been doing it in America, and um, he sounds just like you. I think you and him would, would get on well. Well, that is sounds amazing, Tom. And also, if you ever want a, a scale-up speaker, I'd be happy to come and talk anytime as well. Brilliant. Um, during our conversation, I've emailed you and to say, get this guy on the programme. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, it's been fascinating. What a story. And uh, obviously, we look forward to the next part of your journey. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. There was one other thing that I never mentioned as well, quite unusual about the business, was there was no debt investment. There was no investment. There was no bad debt. It was profitable every year and it grew every year apart from apart from the pandemic year. So that, I think, is a message as well that some businesses can be successful without seeking investment. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I think there's so many nuggets of inspiration there for our listeners this morning. It's brilliant to hear you and I look forward to you helping us with the scale up as well. All the best. Thank you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. 
As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week on the board you can't afford, we have Lynn Darcy Quigley, who's the founder of Know It. Yep. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Morning, Lynn. Morning, Tom. Lynn, tell us a wee bit about yourself, the business, and then your question. Okay, um, so I'm obviously the CEO and the founder of Know It. We're a credit management SaaS platform. Our mission, I suppose, is really just to get businesses paid. Um, obviously, we've got a huge uh, late payment pandemic. Um, I've been doing it for 30 years I am now, so uh, 17 of those years I've been running Darcy Quigley, and we're commercial debt recovery, um, and we deal globally. But Know It was kind of a created so we could get that SME um, tax making digital obviously really helped the fact that we could get that SME into a SaaS platform and allow them to get their, their invoices paid. Right. And um, Lynn, what's your question this morning? Because I've got a really interesting question that I think the listeners will really um, get involved with. So tell us your question. Okay, so I had two. So my first one was probably, um, obviously I'm in a, a SaaS product um, and... I really wanted to, I do want to globalise it and I've had lots of conversations and I suppose I'm on an knife edge at the moment deciding whether, right. you know, where I go with that um, and how do we afford it when you're bootstrapping. Um, and then obviously, yeah. my, you know, that's my first question. My second question was about being a CEO and a founder straddling over two businesses. Um, anytime I get to the investment chat, it's always, well, you know, how long can you commit in this business? How long are you going to stay in this business? You know, yeah. what's your exit? What are you going to do? And it all gets just a bit, you know, a bit messy. Because for me, I can't separate them. I am both the businesses. Um, right. You know, and I'm, I'm in both of them equally at the same time. We share offices. We do straddle some staff that share in both businesses. Um, and my debt recovery, commercial recovery piece is actually plugged into the back of the platform as a partner. So uh-huh. we kind of are one, but I really struggle with that. So my, my advice, I've had a bit similar experience a okay. way, way back. And I would, rather than trying to say, I'm going to spend 50% here or 50% there. Just can't do it, yeah. Well, what I did the way back in the day when I had this exact conversation was that I actually said to them that these are only two separate entities because of the legalities of company's house. True. It's mm-hmm. one business. Correct, yeah. And that's, that was my answer. I believe that. Yeah. But it's so hard to convey yeah. when yeah. somebody's like, no, nah, 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 because yeah. if I'm going to give you all my money, I don't want you wasting time. Yeah. And Darcy Quigley, but I'm not wasting time. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm there and I'm working hard and whatever benefits I get in that business roll straight into the platform anyway. Yeah. That's where all the learnings are. So so are they two separate entities? They are. Why but don't you just create a holding company? Do you know, well, I have. Right. I have, it's there, and obviously our IP sits in the holding company. Yeah. But I think I don't get that, I don't get far enough with the investor to actually have that real deep dive where I go, look, the separation is right, but it's from a legal entity. Obviously, I'm running a SaaS business and running a very traditional business. They do have different customer bases, without a doubt. Um, And they have different needs. One's UK, one's global. You know, so there's, you know, there there is differences, but we are the same and we we are on the same mission. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, Lynn, I noticed that you won Scottish Edge. Obviously, we're big big supporters of that. How did that panel get over this hurdle with you? Well... We were start up, very, very start up. At, you know, when we got, we applied for the age the first time, we didn't get it. And we applied the second time and we got, you know, a 90,000 award. So we're, you know, we've done really well. But the, the panel were all about, they seen the value and the fact that we were helping businesses get paid. So I think our, I think they were laser focused in that piece, which is right. Because right. that's, that that is the point. So the panel were concentrate mostly on one of your businesses. Yes, it was right. purely know it. You right. know, they understood that Darcy Quigley was there, and we would facilitate the back end of the right. platform. So that's how you get round that. That's how it wasn't a question. No, it, it, it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't a thing. Yeah, I think right. it's when it becomes more than that. Yes, you know, and and it's you know it's VC led, and you know they they want that person to be solidly in that business all of the time. But you know that doesn't make commercial sense for me or for the clients. Yeah. So I think I think this 
this comes down to you know your business better than investors know your business. And, you know, we're all about supporting founders in their, in their journey and growing. Um, so if you think it's right and you've obviously struggled and you've toyed with this question in your own head, yeah. but if you're still saying, no, one in one make three here, and if you don't see it as an investor, thanks very much, I'll go and find somebody who does. That would be my advice to you. But really, you know, take take good advice the way you're doing this morning. Um, really work it out. But if at the end of the day you think, no, they don't quite get, then have a look at how you're um, putting it forward. But if an investor says, oh, we want you to be in this business, an investor will never know your business the way you do. Yeah. And my advice would be that if both the businesses grow and you're deemed as the leader of both businesses, if it is your aim to maybe sell one or sell both, whatever, it'd be good to be able to say that the number two in this business could, if I get knocked down with a bus tomorrow, could run this business. Yeah. Right? And I think that that is something that maybe take the pressure off when you think that you're you know, straddling two horses. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. So, so good luck. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> so, Lynn, we look forward to you um, keeping in touch with the show, letting us know what actually happened because, you know, we, we we talk about these things and I'm always intrigued to say, right, what did, what did Lynn actually do in the end? <laughs> so let us know. Keep in touch and let us know. Okay. Thanks for coming, Lynn. Thank Thanks you. Very much. All right. Thank All you. the Thank best. You. Thank you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.